Isn't that a great sight? All those kids. That is a, that's a blessing there. Well, good morning again. Um, Pastor Tim is in Edinburgh, I believe. And uh, I have to tell you a little quick story before we get started. We're sitting in Bible study this morning, and my phone buzzes. So my wife pulls it out of her purse just to uh, make sure it's not my mom or something. And it's Pastor Tim. And he says, watching you, what are we praying about? So he's everywhere. Okay, so just know that. Last Sunday, um, we pre- I-, I talked to you and we, we studied Romans 3, um, starting in verse uh, 23. And what we talked about last Sunday was that the universal problem of every human being is that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we have no way in and of ourselves to get right with God. But God has a solution for this huge problem that we created with our sin. Just as review, uh, verse 24, Romans 3 says, Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And we spent a lot of time on that verse and what we Uh, What we learned was that being justified is God's declaration that you are righteous in his sight. But that you can't pay for it because it's a free gift and you can't work for it because it's by his grace. And that you were ransomed through the redemption in Christ Jesus. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that. We are declared righteous. We are not made righteous. We are declared righteous in the act of justification through faith in Jesus. And the reason that God can justify the ungodly is because salvation doesn't rest on us. Right? It rests on the redemptive attitude of God and the redemptive action of Jesus. That salvation is, is, is available to sinful man because God chose to be forgiving and because Jesus paid the ransom for our sin. So that's a recap. Well, what that does is it leads us up to what I want to talk, what we need to talk about today. And, and this, this, this other question that is addressed in our text today that Paul kind of he talks about. And that question is, Why would God be willing to do this? I mean, what was God's motive in everything that he set up? And honestly, honestly, I mean, if we really, really get down to it, it is beyond our human comprehension to fully, completely understand why God would punish his son for something that we did, for what we deserve. But regardless, the question is still there. The question still remains, what is God's motive of salvation? Now, if I was to ask you that, if I was just to come up to you and say, what was God's motive for salvation? The majority of us would give answers. Love, mercy, grace. Those are the ones that we're familiar with. That's probably where we would go. In fact, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 
which you're just going to have to listen to me because evidently it's not working. So, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5 say, thank you, Jesus. All right, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even though we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So when we talk about God's motive for salvation, love, mercy, and grace are usually the motives that we live. That's usually what we, what we talk about. That's what we're comfortable with. But this morning, I want to look at another motive. A motive that is often overlooked, but it is extremely important. And so that brings us to our text today. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, please. We will continue from last week, and we're going to be in Romans 3, 25 and 26. So, remember, we're, he, he's speaking of Jesus when he says, starting in 25, whom God displayed publicly. It's gone. There it goes. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. As we delve into it today, Lord, as we study your word, we pray that, you would, that the Spirit would teach us what we need to learn. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would show your meaning, what you want us to learn, what plant seeds, Lord, I pray that you would move because nobody's here to hear me. They're here to hear your word and to hear from you. So we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat, please. Okay, so as we jump into this, there's three, kind of, there's three things, really, that, we, that I want us to talk about today. Public display, powerful demonstration, and only God. Those are our three topics for today. That's our three things that we're going to see. So we're just going to jump right in. The first thing I want us to see is, the, is that public display. Romans 3.25 starts out, and remember, we're talking about Jesus. He says, whom God displayed publicly. Now, this term displayed publicly is actually one Greek word, and that is prolithemy. Now, pro means before, and theme means to place. So, the idea here is that God literally placed Jesus before everyone. He set the death of Jesus on display. So what happened to Jesus was not done in private. It wasn't done behind the scenes. God wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of it. So Jesus was ransomed publicly because God wanted everyone to know about it. And the thing is, we know it worked. Luke 24, 18. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And we read again in Acts 26, verse 26. For the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these escape his notice for this has not been done in a corner. So we know that God wanted this 
He, he wanted it public. He wanted people to be aware of it. And through scripture, we know that it worked. So the point is that God did it. God crucified his son in the open. And it was, dis- and it was definitely God that displayed Jesus on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but for most of us, this seems very odd, right? Because we tend to hide things that would be a blemish on us, right? We tend to like sweep embarrassing things under the rug. Uh, we don't really, we don't particularly like to suffer open shame, but here's Jesus. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's crucified, and he's displayed publicly. And then Paul continues. He says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Now that word propitiation is translated from the word helestrion. Okay? It means appeasement or satisfaction. So it is God publicly putting Christ on the cross, publicly putting him to death to satisfy and appease his wrath towards sin. And what's really interesting about this word is how it's used. In every other religion in the world, it is up to man to offer appeasement to whatever God that they've offended. But Christianity is completely the opposite of that. Even though it's man that offends God, it's God who offers the appeasement. It is God who bridges the gap between himself and sinful man. And there's more. The Greek Old Testament uses this very same word, helistrion, and translate it as mercy seat. Now, why is that significant? We have to go back, and we have to look at Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 21, going to 22. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you. Listen. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all the things that I will give you in commandment of the sons of Israel. So the mercy seat is where the sacrifice was presented on the day of atonement and where God promised to meet sinful man. Now, Paul says in our scripture today, that Jesus is our helistrion. Jesus is our mercy seat. Which means his blood is where God promises to meet you. Now that leads me to my second point. It was a powerful demonstration. Continuing in, in 20, verse 25. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. And then he says it again at the beginning in verse 26 for the demonstration i say of his righteousness at the present time now the righteousness of god is the big issue see when we speak again of the sacrificial death of jesus we again often speak of love and mercy and grace but we can't forget the other motive we can't forget the other thing that god revealed and that was his righteousness God publicly 
displayed Jesus on the cross as an appeasement for sin to demonstrate his righteousness. So why? Why do you do this? Well, continue in verse 25. Look at the end of it. In the forbearance of God, or if you prefer, in the patience of God, or better yet, in the tolerance of God. So in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So what does that mean? A really good example. I was, I was trying to figure out, okay, how do we tell And it's like, you know what, let's just use the Bible to teach the Bible, right? So, 2 Samuel chapter 12, King David is confronted by the prophet Nathan for committing adultery with Bathsheba, and then he killed her husband, right? So Nathan comes to David, and he says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? David replies, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan says, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. And just like that, adultery, murder, passed over. But I want you to note, he did not say your sins don't matter. And he did not say, I'll ignore your sins. But wait a minute, didn't they offer sacrifices back then? Whenever they would sin, they would give a sacrifice and it would all be good. Well, they did. But we have to remember Hebrews 10.4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that is what Paul is saying when he says he passed over the sins previously committed. What he's saying is God did not punish them for. At least God did not punish them with what they deserved. So why does that matter? I mean, God is God, right? God can do whatever God wants to do. Well, it matters because God doesn't seem to appear righteous. Because it's interpreted, when, when, when God passes over sin, it's interpreted by the world that God is ambivalent to sinners. Remember Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's at stake in sinning is the glory of God. When Nathan confronted David... Nathan quotes God as saying, you have despised me. Imagine that. God coming to you and saying, you have despised me. But that's what Nathan says. He quotes God to David and he says, you have despised me. Now, in my head, which is a really strange place to be, you don't want to spend a lot of time there. But in my head, I I can see this conversation. And Nathan quoting God says, you have despised me. And then David says, what do you mean I've despised you? I wasn't even thinking about you. I was just kind of hot for this girl down there, and then I was scared people were going to find out what I, oh, you weren't even in the picture. And then God's response is, I wasn't even in the picture. That's what I mean. You despised me. You see, All sin is despising God before it's damaging to man. All sin is choosing the pleasures of this world over the everlasting joy of fellowship with God. 
Sin demeans God's glory. It belittles his value. People start saying things like, I don't believe a loving God would send anyone to hell. We hear that all the time, right? But Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11 says, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. See, and that's what was happening here. This is what's happening in the Bible. This is what's happening today. The problem is that we are so consumed with God's mercy that we forget God is holy. Lost people are being told about the mercy of God so often that they don't really believe that God is going to judge them. So the righteousness of God seems to have disappeared. The world sees God as merciful, but seldom angry. The world sees God as loving, but seldom holy. The world sees God as gracious, but they do not see him as a judge. And because mankind so easily forgets that God will judge their sin, God sacrificed Jesus publicly. Yeah, the cross teaches mercy. And yes, the cross teaches grace and the cross teaches love. But there has never been a better teacher of righteousness than the cross. You see, God hates sin so much that not only did he kill his own son, he did it publicly. He added to the severity. He turned his back on him, and he was pleased to do it. Matthew 27, 45 and 46. Now, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross, God turned his back on him. Darkness covered the land from noon till about three o'clock in the afternoon. But then when the light shined back on the cross, mankind held their breath because they had beaten him and they had mocked him. But by the time God got through with him, he was unrecognizable. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13 and 14, all right? See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, listen, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. God did that. And then the Bible goes on and it tells us that God was pleased to do it. Going down to Isaiah 53, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. See, we don't read that very often. You see, 
at the cross, God proved he is righteous. If you ever doubt the holiness of God, just look at the cross. If you ever doubt that God will judge sin, look at the cross. If you ever doubt that God will judge sinners, look at the cross. There are so many people today that act like God won't judge them for their sins. So many people that act like God is too merciful to punish sins. Then how do you explain what he did to his own son? You see, when sin went on his son, God crushed him. God turned his back on him. And God was pleased to do it. Because God hates sin. God judges sin. He always has. He always will. God publicly displayed the crucifixion of Jesus so that he could powerfully demonstrate his righteousness. And that brings us to our third point. Do you ever wonder why God would send his son to the cross to die instead of sinful man? If we continue to read in in chapter 3, verse 26, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, please do not miss the condition at the end of this statement. We are only talking about people who have placed their faith in Jesus. And as a side note, if that's not you, if you haven't accepted the Lord as your Savior, today needs to be the day. But for the person who has faith in Jesus, God reveals himself as the just and the justifier. Now that's really cool because that word just, that means holy. Which means that he is perfectly righteous. It means that his standards always stand. That sin is never overlooked and sin is never forgotten. But that word justifier, that means merciful. Because again, man didn't bring an offering of appeasement to God. God God presented an offering of appeasement to man. So man didn't justify himself. God justified man. God is the justifier. Now we know the core attributes of God. We know that God is love. God is holy. God is merciful. God is perfect. But how do you balance those attributes of God while still dealing with sinful man? How do you remain holy and be merciful? How do you maintain a strict stand on sin, yet still show mercy to sinful man? And see, that's the question that generally causes fallen man to misunderstand God. You see, they'll accept one of them, 
that he is holy or that or they'll accept that he is merciful but they accept one and then they usually reject the other you see some take the approach that he's holy but he's not merciful and so they're constantly trying to appease God through this self-justification and they're afraid of this holy God because of course this is the God that will crush them if they miss one single requirement see that's legalism and that's wrong and then on the other hand you have those that take the approach that he's merciful but he's not holy see these are the people that don't worry about the thou shalt nots because God is merciful and he'll never judge me. See, that's liberalism and that's wrong. Man doesn't understand how God can be both holy and merciful at the same time. And really, how could he be? Because those two things are polar opposites, right? Those two things don't go together. But are you ready for me to tell you the answer? Are you ready for me to tell you the answer? Think the answer. Listen, because God paid the price himself. See, in putting forth Jesus as our propitiation, the Lord vindicated his righteousness, ensuring that he remains just as he became the justifier for those who believe in Jesus. God provides what sinners need to be righteous in his sight without compromising his justice. See, when we are declared righteous in Christ, justice is still done. But we don't suffer the punishment that we deserve for our sins because Jesus suffered it in our place. See, and that's what makes the cross such an amazing truth. Because at the cross, God revealed himself as merciful. And at the cross, God revealed himself as holy. And only our God can claim to be truly holy and truly merciful. Only our God is truly holy, never allowing one single sin to slide. And only our God is merciful, not giving us what we deserve. If we look at 2 Peter 3, verse 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Mercy. See, that's mercy. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's justice. That's our holy God. So here's the point. Mercy is available, but judgment is coming. Let me say that again. Mercy is available, but judgment is coming. No doubt. So let me pull all of this together. Mankind is totally wicked and incapable of saving himself. We saw that in from chapter 1 to chapter 3, all in Romans. 
But salvation is possible through faith in Jesus. That's in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Because Jesus died to redeem us, verses 23 and 24. And this shows us that God is merciful and God is holy. And that's today's stuff. So God's love and mercy and grace do not deny, do not undo his desire and demand for justice. Where God promised to, and delivered mercy, he delivered punishment and wrath also. And in both cases, God's right choices are no less than his righteousness. Because Jesus pays the penalty for our sins, God is both just, enacting the due penalty, and he's the justifier, declaring the guilty innocent for those who have faith in Jesus. So do not assume that you can bargain your way out of hell because we serve a holy God. And do not assume that your sin is too great for you to be saved because our God is holy. And our God is merciful. The forgiveness of sins is not grounded in my finite worth, but in the infinite worth of the righteousness of God. John Stott wrote this. He says, at the cross, in holy love, God through Christ paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. He took the judgment we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness that we do not deserve. At the cross, divine mercy and divine justice were equally expressed and eternally reconciled. God's holy love was satisfied. So I'm going to wrap it up like this. The question is, where will the justice of God against your sins be expressed? Will it be expressed in hell because you refused his mercy? Or is it expressed on the cross where we receive the free gift of justification offered to us through Christ Jesus? You know, it's, it's your choice. It's completely your choice. God loves you. God wants you. But he's not going to force you. But we can never lose sight of the fact that God is merciful. And he extends to you a free gift. But God is holy. And he will judge sin. So the choice is completely yours as to which side you're going to be on. So I'm going to pray for us. Then Roger's going to play. Do business today. Come before the throne. If you need to come to the altar and pray, do that. If you need to come up and have me pray, I'll pray with you. If you need to accept the Lord as your Savior, today is the day. But just when you leave today, be right with God. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. We praise your name. Lord, we don't really completely understand how you can be so merciful to us and still be 
so holy and true to your justice. Lord, we pray that you would speak today. We pray that you would stir souls today, that the Holy Spirit would move. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, we pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they would give in, that they would put their pride away, and today would be the day that they would accept your free gift of salvation. And Lord, for those of us that that have a relationship with you, we pray, Lord, that today was the day that we would be right with you, that all of our our, our, our sins, anything that we need to get cleansed, Lord, we would put it at your throne, at your feet. And Lord, no matter what happens today, we just praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.